Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, hi, Rod. All is well in the shed. Shall we get started with episode 19? I think we should. 30th of May, 2022. One week just about before WWDC. I love this time of year. I think it's quite exciting. I like all the hype, the anticipation. Normally, I'm not fussed by rumors, um, but I am when it's software because generally with the software rumors, you know you're going to get whatever's coming. Whereas with the hardware ones, I may not buy it. Yeah, that's a fair point. Particularly if it's Macs, you're not going to be interested if it's iPads, unless they do something interesting with software. I'm probably not going to be that interested either. So uh, yeah, an exciting time of year. A bit like Christmas in the Mac world. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You say I might not buy another Mac. You never know. You never say never. Now that M2 Mac might turn your head. Anyway, I think we can fire straight into follow-up, which is, uh, I think you've got a book review for us. Yeah, only a very speedy uh, book review. So we talked a couple of weeks ago about the After Steve book, which is a book written by Trip McNichol, and it's all about Apple After Steve. Well, it says it's all about Apple After Steve, and have, have they lost their soul? But actually, quite, quite a bit of the book is dedicated to before Steve, or, or during Steve, and, and setting up all the preamble, which some of it was interesting, but I don't think I learned anything new from, from that, that third of the book. And then the, the second two thirds is more post-Steve's post uh, death. Interesting, but I think most of it we kind of know in that Johnny was set up to Johnny, their chief design officer, was set up to basically have all all um, authority over where the company went with product. Tim doesn't really care about product, and which is quite ironic since he's CEO of the company famed for, for products and materials and engineering. And it just went into a bit of detail around all of that. And I don't know if you remember many years ago, they were, Apple went and designed a Leica camera for a red auction product, Red. And Johnny's team did it. And they spent ages finessing over it. And then they showed it to Tim and Tim looked at it for like five minutes. Like, yeah, it's great. But, you know, they dedicated engineers to it and resource. And I think this is where Apple started losing its way. They then had to come in and um, take photos of all their products during Johnny's era and document them in a book designed by Apple in California, which I do have and is lovely. I've only bought the smaller one, but it is a really nice book just to flick through from time to time because they're all products that I largely owned at various points. And so I find it really interesting. But on the whole, the book was interesting, but it didn't really give you any new facts that we didn't really know about how Johnny took his eye off the ball. Maybe a few tidbits in there, but I don't know. It was a bit disappointing for considering how many pages the, the book was. Um, I did listen to it on Audible and I would definitely recommend it. But yeah, enjoyable. I don't know, probably 10 hours on a book. But yeah, lo- lots of tidbits learned just how do- Johnny's kind of demise. He should have probably left earlier before he started slowly exiting, costing the company loads of money, not turning up to meetings and just not really in the everyday part of it, if that makes sense. So that, that's my very brief review. Kind of enjoyed it, but wasn't all that exciting. Yeah, I'm glad you read it for me, frankly. I think uh, from the sort of pre-reviews I'd read and from your sort of initial take on it, that seemed to be very much the way. I have popped that link to Designed by Apple California in the show notes, so if anybody's interested in getting that, which always struck me as a bit of a coffee table book, you know, if you're interested in those kinds of things, just to flick through it and appreciate the artistry of the the products involved. Yeah, that's exactly why I got it, because it's just, like I say, it's all products from the era when I got into Apple and tech. And so I can appreciate a lot of the products in there and remember them fondly because I owned lots of them, whether it was the keyboards or the mice or the Macs, the iMacs, iPods, iPhones. So it is a good book. But yeah, anyway, that, that was it on the book, really. It, it's all right if you just want to while away a few hours on Audible or read a book that's an easy read or an easy listen and just learn a couple of tidbits about the inner workings of Apple. But yeah, not, not all that, considering how many hundreds of people he interviewed, I think a lot of what, what was... Um, in the book was generally knowledge like Scott Forstall being ousted. Apparently had to go over to Tim's house on a Sunday afternoon and got sacked. 
and they and rumor has it he's got you know they literally backed up a truck of money and to get rid of him they had to pay him off huge sums of money so yeah there you go well apple's got plenty of money i gotta say it's it's a market that's quite underserved by a, a population of people that expend a lot of money on their products the, the, there's not a lot of good books out there i mean even uh, steve's biography wasn't particularly good and, and the ones leading up to you know to that design of the ipod all the rest of it are interesting artifacts but not particularly well-written books I would make a recommendation to one from a long time before, and that's something called Fire in the Valley, which is sort of the early years of the personal computer. Uh, and it goes through Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and how they got to where they got to and sort of the requirements of up to the point where Steve came back to Apple is really where the book stops. They actually made a film out of it with, oh gosh, I can't remember the actor's name, Noah Wiley, who was in ER, and Anthony Michael Hall is the other one who was in The Breakfast Club. He was the geeky kid in The Breakfast Club. And it's a good film, but it's a great book. Okay, I'll have to check that out. So that's Fire in the Valley. Okay, I'll have a look. Yeah, worth a look. Do um, we move on? Moving on. So I've got a little bit of follow-up from last week where I thought that the Apple TV 4K wasn't displaying, in the UK at least, iPlayer in 4K. And it's not. <laughs> the best it can do for you is HD. And there are two links in the show notes, one of which is the BBC's own site, about their supported and unsupported devices and ultra HD and ultra high definition device Apple TV is not on there. I can't, I'm really surprised about it because I was watching something. I just clicked on something just to see what it looked like. And I thought actually the picture looked really good. So I'm amazed unless the TV or the Apple TV are doing some form of upscaling on the content, which is possible. Interestingly, the menus um, when you browse through on my TV, it flashes up in the corner and goes, they're Dol- in Dolby Vision. So the menus are in Dolby Vision, but the content, the actual content you're going to watch isn't. So um, it's a shame. It is a shame. It's a bit of an oversight. And looking through the documentation, I'm sure the only thing I can see that's certified is the Apple TV from 2015. Yeah, I saw that. That seems a bit odd. That seems very odd, doesn't it? That they haven't updated the app. And I believe it's down to a codec, a video codec that Apple don't support. Basically, if it doesn't run on the device, then Apple aren't interested. But I feel this is a bit of an oversight. You know, lots of people use iPlayer. I presume that if there's a BBC America or similar product in, in the States, that it's probably based on very similar technologies. So yeah, it's an odd one. Yeah, it is an odd one. I wonder, I don't know, they support these random TVs. I wonder how many people actually have an Apple TV. Yeah, probably not that many. They're expensive. I saw Roku was supported, and I saw almost every Sony TV ever made appears to be supported. So Yeah, there's huge swathe of part codes on their website, isn't there? Anyway, move on. Moving on. Uh, next was to you on Alt Store. Oh, yeah, Alt Store. So try to install this. So I've installed it on my Mac. So Alt Store is an alternative app store for your iOS device. So I thought I'd give it a go. Installed it on my Mac. My Mac is running 12.5 beta. I don't know whether this is why it didn't work for me. You then have to install a mail plugin. I didn't really understand why. So I installed this mail plugin. You tick to turn that on, reboot mail. And then you have to then log in with your Apple ID password, which I found a bit odd, but apparently they didn't do anything nefarious with it. And then it should install onto your iOS device or your iPadOS device. And for me, nothing happened. I rebooted everything. I tried again. So I haven't got it to work, um, but I will persevere. And maybe I'm just running a beat and it's not yet capable of running with it, but I'll keep you posted. Yeah, I'd be interested. I think if you are, if it is down to beta, which is my inclination, that I think you'll need to be sort of certified for a particular level of the operating system. And I follow the developer on Twitter, Riley something, and he's quite often saying the new version is broken, that this version's broken, it. oh, we've got it patched and it's running again. So I suspect it's probably related to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it on it and wait for it to be officially released, but we may well get on to the next bit of MacOS before then. We may well. 
Uh, and my last bit of, it's not really follow-up, it's just a comment. I was saying last week how the Essex Serpent hadn't really grabbed me, despite the fact I'd watched three episodes of it. The fourth one came out on Friday and I haven't felt any great inclination to go and watch it. So I don't know if I've stopped, but uh, I'm pretty close to not being very interested. I think you've stopped. You're probably right, I think I've stopped too. And that's it for follow-ups. Should we move on to rumours? Let's move on to rumours. And there's, I think rumours and maybe our main show are going to blur together a bit this week because the rumours are very much based on what's going to appear at WWDC and well, maybe a little bit of hardware coming out as well. But uh, it's, they're quite interesting rumours this week. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I would be happy if we go into WWDC, though, not knowing any more than we know today. I, was, I, I kind of like going in cold, but I know I won't stay off the internet for a week. No, and, and there are things beginning to appear when we come to the rumoured software and stuff. There's names beginning to appear for operating systems and things as well, which I'm a little bit disappointed about. I mean, software is going to leak, but you don't get the, necessarily get the big bang thing. that You're amazed when you see the demo on stage anymore. And let's face it, last year's WWDC software was pretty disappointing in many ways. There was nothing, we've, we've talked about this a couple of times, other than it's not sidecar, what's it called? Universal control. Universal control. Universal Control, which didn't actually happen when it was released. It was several points on, and you and I had trouble getting up. Well, I had trouble getting up and running. There wasn't anything killer other than that. No, I don't think there was. I did like the Swift Playgrounds on the iPad. That was probably the standout event for me from last year. I'm struggling to think. Oh, for the iPad, they did. I think they've improved the controls, making it a lot more obvious what Windows Active and how you you can pick an icon and launch an app on the side or, or on the other side and, and all of that. I think they've made it better but it wasn't what we wanted. So last year's update was more of just a, a little point release. There was talk, though, that last year was fallout from the pandemic, working from home, and so that things that were due to be released have all been held for this year. So there could be some truth in that, and it does feel like we're on for a bit of a bumper year. Anyway, let's let's go through some of these things, and, and we're sorry if we get a, a sort of mix between our rumours and, and main show section, but uh, we're sort of giving a sneak peek. So the first rumour that's come out, and this is from Mark Gurman, who is kind of the primary person when it comes to Apple rumours these days, between him and Minchi Kuo, who uh, is more on the sort of development of materials side. He's got uh, links into the stock chain and the development chain of Apple hardware. Between the software side from Gurman and the hardware side from Minchi Kuo, you get a lot of these rumours. And this first one is that the iPhone uh, 14 may have an always-on screen. Yeah, the 14 Pro may have an always-on screen. I think that's my fault. I didn't put it in the show notes. I just wrote 14. Yeah, so I think this is quite exciting. And not surprising at all. They've got the variable refresh rate screen, haven't they? Pro promotion, they call it. So they've already got the hardware in the iPhone 13 and before, I think. I think even the 12's got it, hasn't it, if I remember correctly. So they've got the hardware. Apparently, we're going to have now the software to back it up. Doubt it will get retrofitted to older phones. Will probably be only be a pro feature. I think this is quite cool because it would be great not to just have a black slab of glass on the desk and have a bit of color or a bit of life on it. It makes sense where they've gone with the Apple Watch. Yeah, so, I mean, just to sort of follow up on what you were saying, the var variable refresh screen makes a difference when it comes to saving battery life. So the iPhone Pros have 120 hertz screens. The current generation of them, the iPhone 13, have 120 hertz screens, which can go all the way down to one hertz. So when you're running the screen at one hertz, one refresh a second, effectively, then you're not using as much battery when the phone's sitting there with the screen on all the time. Yeah, no, I, I've, and it's great. And it does conserve battery life and you get fluid animations. And it's the same on the watch, I believe, that it runs in a very similar way. And so when the watch goes into sleep, you see like the second hand will disappear and some of the screen fades or you can turn it off completely. And then it will just update once a minute, which is a brilliant way of dealing with it, I think. I think that's really good engineering. And this was really where the software and the hardware works, works well together. 
Yeah, I agree. At the same time, I'm aware that Google phones and Samsung phones have done this for a long time. As soon as they went to OLED, they had always-on displays. So I think the first generation of Pixels had always-on displays, and they would do things like show the clock, show a notification for a number of emails that stacked up. And on, I think it was the Pixel 3, had their Shazam equivalent running in the background. So if there was a song in the background of the pub you were sitting in or whatever, it would display the song name on the always-on screen at the same time, which is a really nice little feature. And they're playing catch up here a little bit, Apple, to me. Surely that would drive the conspiracy theorists nuts that the microphone's always running. Well, I think the, the world we live in, the microphones are always running and everybody's been dinged for this. Amazon, Google and Apple have all been caught out sort of recording people via Siri and Alexa. And, and I shouldn't say those things, should I? Because well, I'll set off devices. But yeah, the hey dingus things, you don't always have to say hey for them to listen. And most of them come clean and we'll delete the recordings afterwards. But it's it's a factor. And they need to show the uh, little amber light up in the top corner, don't they? They do. On, on iOS and anyway, and macOS, you now get the, the notification that the microphone's active or the camera's active. So anyway, we're getting away from the, from the point a little bit. So even though iPhone 13 Pros support this right screen technology for this, it looks like that this always-on display will only come to the iPhone 14. So they're going to hardware lock it to the iPhone 14 Pro. I'm not surprised by the hardware lock. Apple have done this before. And that's fine. Your iPhone 13 and 12 have promotion and they do more than they do when, when you bought them because you've had software updates. You're not going to get this one. I am in the market for a new phone, so I feel quite comfortable about it at the moment. I'm not desperate for a new phone, but that it probably would sway me a little bit. It would just be another, another reason to do the upgrade. I think it's cool. I do wonder, though, is it going to help in a culture where people are unhealthily addicted to their phones? Is it just another thing that actually you just going to be buzzed a bit more if that makes sense i don't know i've turned off lots of notifications i don't have any red badges on i don't have like motion when somebody walks near my doorbell i only have it if you push the doorbell you know lots of things like that i turn off lots of emails so they just deliver quietly because i also get a lot of work emails so i've done quite a lot just to tweak what notifications i get i unsubscribe from literally everything you know i try and run a minimal life because life's busy as it is i don't need more distractions so i do wonder i do wonder about that but it feels like it's going to happen and i guess People that are addicted to their phones aren't locking things anywhere and putting it on the table. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I think that's very laudable that, you know, we should all make more of an effort to to reduce the interference in our lives of things buzzing on our wrists and going off in our pockets and all the rest of it. And I do a similar thing with a work email on my phone. I make it so I go in and check it. I don't want it pushing me notifications all the time that something's going on. It's when I go and look at it, it's there for me to look at. So I think that's a slightly healthier way to go, it's particularly outside of work hours. And I know the French have got legislation to stop you doing it anyway, but uh, I think it's some way of managing that. Yeah, agreed. I do worry because people need to get away from work once in a while. It's healthy to put your device down, stop stop being connected. doesn't hurt. Well, I sit there eating dinner with my family and both daughters have Snapchat. And Snapchat's alerts are egregious, I think is the word I'm looking for, where it even alerts you that one of your contacts is typing, not just that they sent the message. So you get a little thing up on the screen going such and such is typing. It's absolutely dreadful. Sounds horrible. I am glad I don't have to do that. And my children aren't quite old enough yet, but I'm literally on the precipice of this coming into my life. Yeah, well, I'm so dreading it. Something for you to look forward to. Anyway, interesting. Uh, I think we're quite keen. It's a good, with, with caution, I think it's a good development of technology about time. Will look particularly nice on hopefully that new display with a sort of pill and lozenge camera uh, and, and face ID sensor. I, I think they could do a good job with this. So moving on. Just before we move on, I wonder how they're going to message it at the keynote, because obviously we, they won't have announced the hardware time. So it'll be interesting just to see how they signpost it, as they've done in prior years with different screen sizes. They weren't live yet, but they had 
really signpost that this was happening. Well, I, I almost guarantee they'll fiddle with notifications again in this new version of the OS. So I, I think they'll be able to get away with it somehow. Fair enough. Should we move on then? Moving on. So uh, the next thing is definitely in your wheelhouse, and this is the rumor at last, the iPad OS 16 will feature resizable windows. What do you know about this, Chris? So I don't know a lot about it, but I understand that um, Steve Troughton-Smith has actually done some spelunking into the WebKit code that is publicly available. I can't think of the right word. Open source, thank you, sorry. Had a, had a mind blank then. So he, he's done some diving into it, and there's apparently a mode for iOS slash iPadOS where you can have it in you know freely resizable windows, which obviously doesn't exist at the moment. You either have you know a long, thin one one that's 50%, one that's filling the screen, or one that's a third of the screen. And so it's interesting that there's a potentially flagging a new release of WebKit, which is the, basically the web engine that drives Safari on the iPad that allows for fully resizable windows. Now this I'm interested in, I am. The windowing on the iPad does not bother me that much, as much as it does others. The bit I'm more interested in is what can I do when I plug in my monitor? That's the rumor that I want to know more about, but I can wait a week. So I think it's good. It sounds like they're really moving forwards to make the iPad more desktop. I just wonder how many people have they lost in the last two years because they haven't advanced enough. And you hear a lot of stories about people going back to the Mac. So I think it's good. Hopefully it will come, but it may not come to fruition. Who knows? No, it's really interesting. And I'm sitting reading the rumor here, which again will appear in the show notes if you want to read some of these things yourselves. But one of the sort of major enhancements to this is, is Apple is planning major enhancements for the lock screen, including wallpapers that have widget-like capabilities. And if that doesn't flow into what we just talked about a minute ago with an always-on screen and, and, and being able to display those kind of notifications when it's in some sort of sleep mode, I don't know what does. Yep. Uh, and I, I, I'm quite keen to see, I mean, for all I knock the iPad as just being a, a consumption device as opposed to a production device, and we won't have that argument again, I think I'd like to see it capable of doing more. And something like this moves it in the right direction for me, that it it feels like such a unitasking device when you've got this, it taking over the screen and you're only in this mode and I'm just doing email at this point. And I know there's more to it than that if you use it in the way it's undoubtedly meant to be used but i think it would open the device up to a lot more possibility and capability and like you say it might make that balance between people who are going back to desktops and laptops you know a bit more fair yeah definitely and i wouldn't mind if they just put a pro switch in settings like you know leave it as it is for my mum but actually i've got a pro switch if i want it and i can do more and have freely resizable windows and, and all these other things so really excited to see where they're going to go with it yep Good rumour. Uh, it's nice to see this thing, kind of thing coming along, and uh, hopefully next week we'll have a bit more details on what, what and if it actually looks like. Good. Okay, our next rumour is, and we, we were kind of down on the VR AR headset last time we talked about it, but it's beginning to look like it's going to be even more likely that there will be something to see about WWDC about it. Maybe not the hardware, but the software development kit, perhaps. The rumour is that uh, a shell company of Apple's, which this is apparently the way they do these things, has registered a trademark for the Reality OS, which we all know is what the VR slash AR OS is going to be called. It appears that this has been uh, registered with the Apple shell company, which they've done before. This one is called Reality OS as the name of the company. They've previously done this as Yosemite Research LLC, so they've got skin in the game. They've done this before. So yeah, it looks like there is smoke and fire now. Yeah, so I've read two things on this. I think one, they've registered these trademarks, and then two, it could just be coincidental, but it feels a little too coincidental, if I'm honest. But after all the rumours we get, it feels like it's going to be a really big event on Monday. I don't know how they're going to pack it all in, because 
Watch OS 9 is also going to get major rewrites. They're now doing reality OS. I do wonder whether Apple can support all these different OSs. I'm assuming at some point that they all boil down to a similar core and they make one change to the network in stack, for example, and they can roll it out to all the operating systems. But no, it's, it's going to be exciting. Again, I wonder what they're going to do here. Are they just going to ship you a cardboard Nintendo style box if you put your phone in and, and that's how you pretend you, you've got some AR? I don't know. And it uses, you know, it could use like the LiDAR pointing out i don't know what they're going to do here because it's like a chicken and egg situation isn't it you, you want the developers on board but you need the hardware but you don't want to release the hardware until you've got some software and i, I don't know really curious to see what they do you have just reminded me that google this is how google did it they did google cardboard back in the day do you, do you remember this vaguely i was just thinking of the nintendo labo stuff well, my kids have got a bit of it for the switch no, this was an actual thing that Google uh, shipped that, that you could buy or they'd ship you Google Cardboard when they tried to do the AR stuff with them. And you'd slide your compatible phone in, which was the Samsung's and a, I think it was a Pixel, might even have been pre-Pixel at the time. And you would get an AR type thing. I even went to a, a thing at Hey on Y Festival with BBC Click where they were handing out Google Cardboards for us to slot our phones into and enjoy the BBC Click episode in, in, in AR mode. So that's not a new idea, but uh, it amuses mm. me that you've come up with that. Well, I'm just, I'm curious now how they're going to do it. Like, how are they going to move forward with AR in a meaningful way if they're about to release a £3,000 headset that won't do much? Or have they got something up their sleeve? I think it's going to, I don't know. I'm interested to see where we go. Yeah, and all this, as you, as you alluded to there, all this stuff about LiDAR sensors and all the sort of depth sensing stuff that they've built into recent iPhones and iPads has to go somewhere, surely. And that seems like a logical way. I'm not sure I've ever used it on my iPad Pro. Well, it's built it's into my iPhone. For me. Yeah, I mean, it's built into my iPhone as well. It might even have been built into the last one. And again, it did nothing for me either. It's on the 12. It does do something if you use the portrait mode, which I do kind of like every now and again. So I, I think you have used it without knowing about it, but you probably haven't used the AR piece of it. So faster focusing, how useful. Which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, that is a useful and the depth thing for yeah. portrait photos so it can blur, blur the background but keep you pin sharp. Yeah, that's one of those features though. And I can't remember the name of this and my memory's obviously beginning to fail me, but a few WWDCs ago, they did a whole thing about hair and, and fuzz on jumpers and things. Do you remember the name of the feature? Yeah, the bloke with a cardigan with a weird pattern on it, and you could like zoom in, and it it just looks super crisp, and it really picked up the detail. Yeah, and I, I don't zoom in at photographs enough, I think, to notice that kind of stuff. And I, it, the implementation of that is slightly dodgy, as portrait mode has always been. Like, if somebody's standing with the legs slightly apart and the background's there, the way it sort of distinguishes between the foreground of the legs and the background and what's behind can go a bit wrong sometimes, as can, you know, folded arms or hands on hips or something like that. So that is an area where portrait mode has suffered, and I'm sure the LiDAR has helped it a little bit. But, you know, those kinds of software development features haven't always gone 100% well for them. It's trying to guess. Who, who the person is and what the shape of the person is it has come a long way it's definitely got better and they i think it was the iphone 13 they've released it with when you do a video now haven't they that you can focus in on different elements and that, i think that's using the same technique as portrait mode for cameras but but for film they're just stills if that makes sense yep so well it's interesting i guess we'll see so this next one i think is slightly fascinating and this is the rumor is that ios 16 uh, will bring a more social network-like functionality to messages. Now, having followed Apple stuff for a while, Apple have tried vague social networks before, if you remember Ping. Tunes. So Ping was built into iTunes, so you could see what your friends were doing in terms of music they were listening to, and you could follow nominally bands and see what kinds of things they were going to release. And it was a massive failure. 
Do you remember the Apple Music Connect tab that you used to have in Apple Music when it first shipped? I don't know if you ever used it then, but that was a similar thing. You could connect with your bands and see them post things, and obviously that's that's gone. So I, I'm worried about this. I mean, I'm the least social person in, on the planet, so I don't think it's going to do much for me. I love messages, use it all the time, but just leave it alone. It reminds me when they did the App Store. They made all this hoo-ha about messages App Store, which nobody really uses. No, and you know, they were going to design it so anybody could build in, you know, various plugins to messages to put in stickers and do all sorts of things, and even things features like the emoji and all the rest of it. As far as I'm concerned, have died to death. Snapchat owned that market for being able to do interesting things with pictures and record videos. It's not a thing people just use messages for. As far as I'm concerned, no, agreed. So this rumor says specifically in messages. I'd, Mark Gurman, expect more social network-like functionality, particularly around audio messages. So again, that's something I have done, recorded little snippets of, of voice and sent it on to people. R- occasionally, most of the time, I just text and send pictures. So- if you start sending me your voice, there will be problems. Well, you know, there's, there's, there is use for this kind of stuff. That It's not always easy to type. You can record a quick thing. You can say, you know, put the kettle on when I get home, whatever it is, if you've got time to type it. I agree it's a bit... It's pushing it, but I know the youth like this kind of stuff, sort of extra features within it, and that makes sense, but what I don't want to see is, you know, them turning messages into a Facebook or or, or a Twitter type thing in larger groups. It's not for that, you know, it's a replacement as far as I'm concerned for SMS on my phone, it's quick text, it's useful for other bits and pieces as well, and they don't need to push it too much further, they just need to make it better and work better, particularly on the Mac. You know, when for messages delayed showing up, for the features that are on the iPhone version that don't appear on the Mac version, do that. Don't mess about building in more unnecessary stuff like emoji and stickers and things like that. Um, target demographic for this feature. Maybe so. I might ask one of my daughters to review it if and when it's out, so we can we can have we can have a proper perspective on how useful it is. No, I think that's a really good idea. You get the idea that you get the perspective from a much younger generation. It'd be great to go. They may go, yes, this is awesome, or no, Dad, you were right. I'll get them to record their voice in an audio feature, Chris, and send it to you just so you can experience the joy of that then. <laughs> Perfect. That will do us for rumors, although some of these may feature again in our little WWDC wrap-up. Uh, our news list is pretty short this week. Yeah, I think there's lots of rumors, isn't there? And I'm guessing Apple have already cleared the decks ahead of um, WWDC. Google have done their event. Microsoft had a build event recently. There wasn't a huge amount that came out of the back of it. So in the news then... Apple have released some pride watch bands and watch faces. I was a bit disappointed. Says the man wearing, I think, 2020's pride watch band, and I love it. It's so bright and vivid. But the ones that came out, I'm a bit disappointed with. I tried out the the watch face, and it is unreadable. Oh, you've got last year's 2021 watch band, which was the solo braided loop. Oh, and the Nike one. You're rolling them all. So I thought the watch faces were awful. I can barely read the time on it, which is the one thing you want your watch face to do. And I'm not a big fan of, like, I think it's the NATO strap or the furry bands. Not not for me. So I was a little disappointed, if I'm honest, after I did love the strap that I've got from 2020. Yeah, the last two year straps, I think the designs have been excellent. You know, they're, they're very colourful. They, they get over the fact that you're supporting, you know, people of, of, of different sexual orientations and genders and, and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a really valuable thing to, to, to do, you know, to support communities like that. And, and, you know, we get to give Apple a bit of money, which we all seem to quite like doing. And I'm with you. I've bought the last two years in a row. They're current ones are not very well designed i will say just slightly on a tangent that i can't remember the name of this is this a solo loop what's this braided loop solo braided loop i think they're terrible terrible straps and i draw which is why i've gone back to using my sort of nike standards sport strap because uh, it doesn't smell 
which maybe I should take it off my wrist a little bit more often, but they do definitely definitely pick up a few more scents, particularly you got a dog and things like that. And for me, even though I sized it using the pride the, the patented uh, Gruber method of counting how many holes I'd normally put this at and, and ordering it, it doesn't fit my wrist properly and my watch hangs loose on it. So I really don't like it. So do you know what? My braided loop got looser over time gradually. And then I also had a solo sports loop, one of the, the you know, the polycarbonate rubber ones. Well, I'm not sure what, what material that's called. And that's got a crack in it where, where it, because you need it tight enough, but you've also widened it to get it around your wrist. So like you, I've actually gone back to wearing um, there's the regular straps and I've also I did buy a leather one as well which just magnetically clinks in which I wear when I'm at work so I look a bit smarter well it's nice to distinguish yourself and look a bit smarter when you're the boss but I, I I'm with you I think at these the sort of sports style loops I like the material they're made of they feel quite breathable it's it it's on my wrist without sort of being too tight on my wrist and the Nike ones I particularly like because they've got so many holes in them more than the sort of standard ones. You can actually get the fit more, more or less spot on. And I, I still like this Pride design, so I'm happily wearing it again. But I'm with you. And this is a real failing of the Apple Watch for me is these additional sort of designed faces that they make don't include enough in them. Often the, the fonts on them are bad and difficult to read the time. And more than that, they don't include the complications half the time. You're lucky if you get one complication on some of them. And I want to, I wear a computer on my wrist. I want a little more functionality on it than they give you in these design watch faces. The watch faces need a complete redesign. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And do you know what? Actually, I barely changed my watch face. I settle on one and I go to it because if you keep changing it, you're looking in the area where you always look for things and say, oh, it's not there anymore because you keep changing it. So I've, I've latched onto a very old design one, but it works for me. It's got a couple of shortcuts on it and it's got complications around the watch face. So it's one that would have come out with the watch four, series four, I'm going to say, around that time when it went to the bigger screen. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I sort of cycle between contour and modular. Modular because I can get more on it and contour just because I quite like the look of it. It's a nice face. The monocle one's not bad as well. But again, a lot of them are missing complications for me. Graph. There you go. Yeah, there's quite a lot on Infograph. We move on. Let's move on. So our other bit of news, and I think this is quite interesting in light of all the antitrust stuff that's going on, is that Apple has failed in its bid to dismiss the, and I can't say this, Cydia or Cydia antitrust lawsuit. So if you've had iPhones since the start, before there was the App Store, there was a thing called Cydia, which would let you install apps onto your iPhone before even Apple released um, the, the App Store as it's become. And the, the, the root of this is that he is suing Apple for being anti-competitive and not allowing other app stores on the phone. And this is what we're seeing from lots of governments around the world and certainly what's going on in America. And we've talked about this before, what's happening in America is that Apple is now under the spotlight for its inability to allow these uh, app stores. And the other thing I quite like about this is this was original even before the app store. And users had no problem running either of these things for a while. It didn't seem to cause any particular security issues, except people were walking into Apple stores and installing Cydia through cracked browsers and things like that in order just to have Cydia on there when they were sitting out on display in the Apple store, which amused me no end. But yeah, I just think it's an interesting story that they're going to have to face this lawsuit. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. I've never used Cydia, so I can't really comment on it. I'm very much aware of it. Again, it does show that Apple's all, there's always been this bit of competition in the background. Obviously, they've tried to close it down. I've never found the need for it. I'm not surprised Apple are fighting it. It's just another thing. I do wonder, we've talked quite a bit about WWDC. Are we going to see any changing of the tide? I'm curious to see if there'll be any messaging or not. Yeah, 
if there is an audience, and it's just been maybe this is one of the reasons they haven't moved back to being fully live anymore, that's going to be sort of fairly negative about changes to the App Store or not changes to the App Store and allowing things, it's going to be developers. And occasionally Apple have announced things on stage that haven't gone down well, where they've Sherlocked particular people or brought in a feature that you know is controversial or your 30% fee is saying what it is and there's been silence in the room and you can see they're expecting the big cheer from developers. And you know you feel that chill settle over them, don't you? Well, like when you announce a thousand pound monitor run. Yeah, that, that uh, for all the design in the world isn't going to go down all that well when you're spending seven or eight thousand pounds on a screen. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of an ask. Agreed, agreed. Good, okay. That'll do us for the news, I think. And we can move on to media. Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. Have you watched it? I have. I watched episode one and it, I did like what they'd done at the very start, which was to relive the prequel trilogy of Star Wars and this is set just after then. And I thought, actually, it's quite neat how they... I've got the rival. Yeah, it is after the prequel. Well, it's prequel. 10 years after them. Oh, sorry. But yes, yeah, sorry, you're quite right. It's 10 years after them. But they gave you a refresher. And I thought that was quite nice how they put that together. I remember going to the cinema with yourself when we were back at uni to watch some of these. And it was just nice just to see that quick, you know, key key moments of the, f- the first... Should I say the first trilogy or the prequel trilogy? Uh, and it was just nice to see that, the way they've done it. And then obviously get into it quite slowly paced, not all the actors were amazing, but generally on the whole, it was quite cool. I love that era. I like what they're doing. It's a really interesting set between the, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. And I don't know, I, I quite enjoyed it. I haven't watched much on Disney Plus lately other than Pixar stuff. So it's nice to watch something a bit different, if I'm honest. I haven't watched the other Star Wars properties that have come out. And I need to, I know I've got a lot of catching up to do. But actually, I thought, you know what? People are going to be watching Obi-Wan. It'll be nice to watch it with the rest of the world. So I'll, I'll do that. And I actually really enjoyed it. And I do like you, McGregor. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I've watched them both. I'll be careful not to give any spoilers away. I think, I think it's... I'm not spoiling anything by saying that the child actors are excellent in it. I think it's great to see Ewan McGregor actually being given a chance to act in Star Wars because before reading out some of George Lucas's words, you know, it was just announcing what was going on than acting what was going on, if that makes sense. I don't think the script allowed him to act. He had to just say things as they were occurring to him, like he was being the narrator for what was going on. So it's nice to see that he's given the chance to actually be the actor that we know he is from other things that we've seen him in. I like the plot. I like the fact they got, and this will mean nothing to you, they got Tamira Morrison at one point, who plays Boba Fett, and played all the clones, or certainly did the voices for all the clones in the first three films. Of course, all those clones are CGI. So when you saw the the clone trooper, not to give too much away, that's the first live-action clone trooper we've actually seen in Star Wars, which is amazing. Yeah, I think it was really good. It was it was well done. I agree with you a little bit about the pacing. But yeah, not, not too bad at all. Yeah, no, that's good. I don't know. I've got episode two lined up, but I haven't had time to give it my full attention, so I've not watched it yet, so I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've got one negative against it, and that is in the Clone Wars cartoons, the, the Sith Inquisitor, the lead Sith Inquisitor, was played by Jason Isaacs. Hello, Jason Isaacs. And if he should always be given TV roles, as far as I'm concerned. He was great in Star Trek recently. Uh, I think he's good in that kind of thing. Also a fantastic actor, and they've given it to Rupert Friend instead. And Rupert Friend is fine as the Chief, uh, Chief Sith Inquisitor, but it should have been Jason Isaacs. Sorry, I was just looking at Jason Isaacs just to make sure I got the right person. Uh, I often get him confused with the other guy who's in the latest Star Wars trilogy, who's one of the fire pilots. I can't remember his name. One of the fire pilots, and you can't remember his name. One of the X-Wing pilots, the British guy, who's Ewan McGregor's uncle. I can't remember. (laughs) Anyway, well, we'll we'll get that in the show notes. Anyway, if you haven't seen uh, Obi-Wan and you like a bit of Star Wars, I think it's worth checking out on Disney+. Top Gun Maverick. Have you seen that? 
I have seen it. So Went to the cinema, watched it in IMAX. I never know what IMAX is anymore. So IMAX. To me, IMAX is a big curved screen and noise. But actually, the IMAX at my local cinema is just a big knob curved screen with some subwoofers. Yeah, I thought IMAX was a big curved screen with some in a particular dimension. I've only seen a couple of films in IMAX. One of them is a Star Wars film. I saw Rogue One in Copenhagen about a week after it came out, and it looked amazing in IMAX. So that sounds a bit disappointing, actually. It, it was good. Don't get me wrong. It was great to see on a massive screen. But I, I think they've watered down what IMAX means, if that makes sense. Because I think there was a time when it meant a real, 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 real treat. Whereas this is just, to me, a premium regular cinema, if that makes sense. But it was good. Quick bit of follow-up. I was thinking of Oscar Isaac. And I often get those two muddled up, so apologies for that. Well, I get the Isaac thing, but Jason Isaacs yeah. and Oscar Isaac are definitely not the same guy. So, yeah, fair enough. I've got full-on dyslexia, what can I say? <laughs> um, but no, I went to the IMAX with a friend of mine who was itching to see it and has been wanting to see it for two years. So he bought me tickets. I bought the popcorn. And, yeah, I was, I'm not the biggest Top Gun fan in the world, but I really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I think it's a very fitting sequel, actually. They, they hit all the nostalgic notes quite well. The aerial scenes are amazing. I was watching, and it's in the trailer, so I'm definitely not giving anything away, when he launches off the carrier. Uh, and I don't know how anybody else could do that. It didn't look like CGI to me. It looked like Tom Cruise taking off from an aircraft carrier. I've Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. The whole thing just looked amazing. From start to finish, I agree with you on the nostalgia. They've got a good bit of nostalgia in there, but I don't think they hammed it up too much. Generally thought it was really good. The, and you're right, the the, the 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 direction, the aerial photography, all of it amazing, especially on the big screen. If anybody's, I mean, I'm right going, I'd just go and watch it just for the, the fight sequences and the and the jets because so well filmed, really good. Pretty good storyline. It was nice they didn't just re-egg the original storyline. Quite like that his girlfriend had a had a Porsche, <laughs> you know, hard back to that. But I, I thought they trod the right balance between a bit of nostalgia and having a different story, if that makes sense. But yeah, generally really enjoyed it. I agree with you. I would have liked to have seen Meg Ryan or Kelly McGillis in some sort of role in that. There's no reason they couldn't bring those actors back. So that was a bit disappointing. But, it, you know, it is what it is. It's Hollywood. We all know the, the industry that it works in. But uh, no, I agree with you. Overall, a very good film. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Great the way they brought a lot of the actors back that, you know, that weren't Meg Ryan and Kelly McGillis. And a lot of the notes. They should have at least had a cameo, though, shouldn't they? I agree. That, that's what I thought. And for me, the up, the up, so uh, I had motorbikes. And the reason I had motorbikes was because of Tom Cruise and Top Gun and his Kawasaki Z. And they had the, the new generation Z that he's riding on this year. So I was like, yep, yep, that's a very fitting tribute as well. So I like that. Well, they, they had both in there. They had the new one and the old one. So. Yeah, I, I think they nailed it. I think it was really well done. Because um, before I went in, somebody just commented on the Rotten Tomato score it was really good. It was like 96% or something like that. And you can see how he's got it because it is generally a really well done film. My friend who really wanted to see it wasn't disappointed at all. Like I say, I, I enjoy Top Gun, but I'm not an avid fan of it. But generally, yeah, I thought it was really well done. And it was done. Ridley Scott could have directed it in my view. I love a lot of his films, but it kind of followed on. I, thought, I don't know. I thought he did a really good job. Yeah, it was good. It was Tony Scott directed the last one, wasn't it? Ridley. Sorry, Tony Scott. I got it wrong. Yeah, it's Ridley's brother. Too, so it's it's close enough. And I read a thing the other day. Tony Scott's actually better at populist movies and Ridley Scott makes the more thoughtful ones. And I think that's a fair comment. Yeah, okay. No, I can see where you're going with that. But yeah. I love them both, to be fair. Yeah, I obviously got the names jumbled up. Apologies. These things happen. So uh, I think we can move on. We both enjoyed Maverick. Uh, go and see it in the cinema if you can. It's a proper old-fashioned go to the cinema and see film. It's not one to watch on, on a smaller screen in the house. If you've got the opportunity, go and see it. 
Um, Definitely. You've put a link in about prehistoric planet, uh, which I'm just going to give a very quick bit of follow-up as well. I was mistaken last week when I thought it was on the BBC. It was some other dinosaur show with Richard Attenborough, uh, with David Attenborough uh, on the BBC, so I apologise for that. It is just an Apple TV uh, Plus exclusive. So what is your thought on prehistoric planet? I'm thinking we're getting all the names muddled up tonight. My, my, it was only a brief thought. You mentioned it. I hadn't really seen much about it. But I was in London last week and I went to the Apple store and on the big window, the massive transfer of a dinosaur advertising prehistoric planets. So um, I'm now a lot more aware of it than what I was. I still haven't watched it because I don't have time, but I've seen it advertised there and a lot more in the Apple TV app as well. So that's what I was going to just follow up on. Um, also, side note, when you walk past the Apple store on Regent Street, Microsoft's just up at the corner. You could barely get in the Apple store the Microsoft store, you'd have been the only customer in it. Very interesting. Yeah, I've seen that before. I was in New York four or five years ago, and it's a very similar thing. You've got Apple's amazing glass cube thing in New oh, York. On Fifth Avenue. On Fifth Avenue. And then there's a Microsoft store literally around the corner. Nobody in the Microsoft store. And, and one of the Surface laptops had just come out at that point. So there was a good, t- it was, if you were ever going to get people in a Microsoft store, that would have been the time. And there was nobody in there. It's mad, isn't it? It is. It just really hasn't is. got that high street cachet. I'm just going to give one final bit of follow-up. You telling me last week that you'd start watching For All Mankind again, I've re-binged season one. So I'm going to be fully up to date for when the third season comes along is my intention. I'm on episode two of season two. Enjoy. I've got. I am enjoying it, and I might have deviated off and watched Apollo 13 again in between. Because it kind of got me back into it. And I thought, oh, I really want to watch Apollo 13 again. And I love that film when it came out. I went to the cinema to watch it with my friend and his his parents at the time because I was too young to go home. What a good film. Love it. And it stands up today. The 4K rip, the special effects, for me, still hold water. I think it looked great. And I've always loved that film. Great cast. Just, I don't know, really enjoyed it. And I've, I like the director, Ron Howard, as well. Really good. No, I agree with you. Apollo 13 is a great film. And if you're into this kind of stuff, this early space stuff, I would say watch the right stuff as well, which is three and a half hours long. It's got some very young actors that you'd barely recognize, like Jeff Goldblum in a, in a role when he must have been in his early 20s, I'm sure. Fantastic story. And also has Ed Harris in it too. So if you're uh, like a bit of Apollo 13 and, and, and Gene Krantz as he is in, in Apollo 13, he plays one of the Mercury 7 in uh, the right stuff. So give it a watch. He's also in Top Gun Maverick to tie it, it all together. It all, it all joins. Good. Actually, do you know what? On Top Gun Maverick, just very briefly, I did like John Hamm. I love John Hamm. I love Mad Men. It was great to see him in there. I thought he did quite a good job. Yeah, he's good in that. The last film I saw him in was Baby Driver, uh, where he plays one of the one of the criminals in Baby Driver. And John Hamm is, is excellent. He's got good comic timing. He's got drama chops. And he was fantastic in Mad Men. So I'm with you. He's awesome. And I did love Baby Driver. Yep. Yep. Let's, let's move on because it was Kevin Spacey's last film, I think, at the cinema. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll move on quickly. I'm beginning to think we need a separate film or, or media podcast the moment we talk about this <laughs> stuff here, Chris. Uh, gaming. It's all on you this week, I think, the gaming. Not much to report. Given all the TV I've been watching and going to London, I've not had much time for gaming. But I was just going to update on Apple Arcade for kids. I think I've said before, my kids use it quite a bit. And actually, it's interesting just watching them in the last week or so. And my one son's playing Construction Simulator 2 Plus, and my other son is playing pro snooker and pool 2022 plus um, i'm guessing where they've added the plus where these are games they've bought off the developer and then rolled into apple arcade and then my other some the same time playing the, the snooker game was also playing gear.club stradale i don't know how you pronounce that just getting a lot of value out of apple arcade which is great for me because it means i've got to buy individual games and i'm not getting hit for coins or gems or whatever it may be but they they get half an hour on their ipads a day and the majority of the time are on these games so that was just my very brief update is Gear Dot Club Stradale, maybe? Uh, is that a racing game? 
Yes, that sounds a better pronunciation than me. <laughs> it's, it's good. I'm, I'm glad to see there's some use getting out of it. I do wonder if you're sort of an interest, a, a unique use case here, though, because we've said before, we don't know that many people who make the most use of their Apple Apple Plus subscription. So you know about it. You're into this stuff. You're informed that the kids can go there and can download a thing. And I think I've got my kids to download maybe one game each off it that they've tried. And that was Alto's Odyssey. So, you know, it's 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 interesting to me that your kids are quite happy with that. And maybe they're doing a poor job of marketing. I mean, as we said with media about the, about the Dinosaur Show, I think they're doing quite a poor job of marketing this. What's available? What's in it for parents if they have this subscription? The whole family can have it. Up to five people can have it. You know, it, it, these are obviously there's some quite quality games if your kids have kept playing them for the half an hour they've got on their iPads. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, they're getting value out of it. It's keeping them entertained. Um, I, I'm quite happy with it, but I do agree with you on the marketing piece. I'm kind of in the in the zone, so I'm keeping an eye out for games for them that they might like, and I'm directing them there. But I'm in that bubble, whereas a lot of other parents won't be in the tech bubble, won't be keeping an eye on it. So how do you? you find content for your, your your children and maybe your partner that you you don't want to pay for but is included for free in your in your subscription i don't know it's a tricky marketing problem to solve isn't it it is it is and they definitely need to try a little bit harder in that area i mean we talked before about my daughter's boyfriend you know setting up his new mac and getting his mum's you know icloud account on, on the mac because that's the only one they had if we haven't got as far as being able to set up families yet it's maybe no wonder that the cat sell you know slightly more esoteric things like gaming subscription uh, stores to them too so yeah interesting yeah it is agreed anyway i'll keep, keep you posted on uh, any any new games maybe this is our way of sharing the apple arcade message fantastic maybe we should pick a game of the week or something from there to force ourselves to play it because i'm still on not words and i'm back on steam again so i've got nothing new to report there really still playing threes trying to beat my top score it's good to have a, it's good to have ambition good main show wwdc 2022 so what are we hoping to see what are your expectations sort of overall from it new hardware new software what, what do you think we're going to see mixed on hardware whether it's time to get the final mac pro out or actually would they flip it and get the MacBook Air out. You know, I think they've, they've got both ends of the spectrum that are due for a refresh. They've got, there's been rumoured about MacBook Air getting the M2 chip, so is that going to land? And then there's rumour about the Apple Silicon Mac Pro and finishing the Intel transition. They announced when they did it, it'd be two-year transition. So I'm wondering whether we are going to get the Mac Pro announced, but not actually get our hands on it. And it's going to be outside of my budget. You can guarantee it because the Mac Studio is already well outside of my budget. So it'll be interesting to see that. So, so I think we might get a little bit of hardware. Um, for me, I'm looking forward to the software. I'm quite happy if we don't get any hardware. I'm not not looking for any. Nothing's caused me any upset. And I'm expecting a, a metaphorical truckload of hardware in the winter to be announced. So all software for me. And I don't know what I'm looking for. I think I'm looking for a few bits of my iPad just to enhance what I've got. It works really well for me. I do want the, the mirroring, as we've discussed. I want it to be able to use Teams and have my webcam on without it turning off every time I flip to a different app. They're probably the two sort of big productivity things I am looking for. Other than that, everything else is a bonus. Um, and the, the other bit I'm looking for, which probably not a lot of people are, is a bit, bit more stuff in CarPlay, please. Like CarPlay's great, love it. Doesn't work great on my widescreen, as I've said. They need to do a bit more with it now, I think. Like, we've all got used to having touch screens and doing more in our cars and i think they need they need to push it along a lot more it hasn't changed that much since they released it there's been enhancements but nothing fundamental to move it forwards and so probably the things i'm interested in are the things that nobody else is interested in carplay and ipad os please yeah that's interesting i mean i pick up on your point about carplay when i've heard developers talking about making apps for carplay it's incredibly difficult not as difficult as making apple watch apps but 
it's it's difficult to develop. You need to get some piece of hardware and wire it up on your desk, you know, with various adapters for the electrics to get it up and running. Later. Hooray, there's a CarPlay simulator. So that's taken a long time. This is a developer conference. If ever they're going to improve this kind of stuff, this is the audience to do it in front of and to improve the simulator for the watch and CarPlay and for any reality OS or whatever else comes along as well. But they need to give the developers good tools to do these things. And I'm seeing a lot of pushback from the developer community, particularly Steve Trouton-Smith, who's, who's sort of very active, on how Swift UI isn't fit for purpose, how his apps are breaking. They push a point, up, a point update to the OS and things break like labels on apps and fundamental things like that. And that's not good. They, they, you know, they need to improve the overall quality experience of A, the basics, like don't break people's labels and apps. Labels are, you know, are essential to describe what's going on in, in any application that you've got up and running. Make it easier for developers to have a workflow, you know, through to the watch, through to CarPlay, through to whatever else comes down the pipe a little bit. Because it's all very well having, you know, the greatest hardware in the world that it's running on. But these little things in the software and the quality of the software, which every so often Apple do focus on, and this was a year where they did do that. The Mac OS particularly has been better this year than the year before. Now is the time to do it. So although I'm excited about all sorts of new features and all the rest of it, it does worry me that these sort of important bits of development keychain and tool chains do get left behind a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I want to see what they do on Swift Playgrounds on my iPad because I've enjoyed noodling around in that. Am I going to get Swift Playgrounds 5 this year that supports all the new stuff? Or is it going to drag massively behind and you have to wait a year for that, that to drop as well? So I think it's going to be interesting how are they going to walk and talk, you know, and keep all these things rolling at the same cadence. It's going to be... Yeah, interesting story from the town. They've got a lot to pack in, especially we're going to get another operating system with Reality OS. Yeah, and the operating system that's running on your monitor. So, you know, there's yet another operating system there to maintain. There's still been talk of Home OS. At some point, is TVOS going to become Home OS? Because there's been job adverts out for that. So is, is that going to ship? Is that separate to TVOS? Or is it actually one and the same because it runs on HomePods and on TVs? And Or is it just staying as TVOS? But who knows? There's, there's lots of good stuff. I'm really excited by it because we don't know too much. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I hope there's enough in the rumors. And let, let, let's be sort of more explicit. Hardware-wise, we might see this Mac Pro pre-announcement. And with you, we might see that. I don't think, from my, my if, I, if I was to put a pound down, I don't think we're going to see this reality, uh, this this VRAR headset yet. I think we'll get a software announcement, if anything, about here's how you're going to develop for this. And it'll be heavily implied. I don't think we'll get to see it. And I think I hope we'll get to see an M2 MacBook Air, but that'll be the extent of it as far as hardware goes, I, I reckon. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. I, th- I don't think there's going to be too much hardware. They've got so much other stuff to get out the door. I do think the Mac Pro might be a lot because they said Intel transition two years, and that's two years now. Chip shortage. If ever they were got excuses for things not happening, now would be it. I mean, we've talked before about the shipping shortages for, for laptops and, and all Macs and iPads as well, in fact. So... If they've got a big order to get the new iPhone out the door when that comes along in September, I think that's going to take priority over the Mac Pro. So I think the Mac Pro might suffer as a consequence. Yeah, fair one. And I don't know how many people are screaming for Mac Pro now they've done the, the Mac Studio. So if ever they could delay something, I think everybody would give them a pass on this. Yeah, I agree. And when it comes to other little bits and pieces, the Home OS thing, I think, is an interesting thought. And I would like to see development in that space i know you liked your original home pods i quite like my home pod minis that they're okay they're they're they're, they're in the dining room they work when i want them to i haven't had any particular problems with them that is a line that could definitely do with expanding you know they could go more surround sound with them it would be great to have lots of little wireless speakers kicking around your living room without having an audio cable everywhere so i think there's a lot they could do in the home to improve things and maybe release 
a bigger and more affordable version of the HomePod. HomePod Maxi, I don't know what you'd want to call it, having got, you know, used up the cashier of the HomePod brand itself, but uh, there's something there for me. No, definitely. I've got um, two HomePod minis and four big HomePods, so I'm bored. So my shed's got the two minis, and um, I've paired them to Apple TV here, and they work really well all the time. The Apple TV always just plays to them. It never used to be the case, and Apple, I think, have nailed that. So there's lots of really good stuff they've done, and they keep iterating on it. So I do want them to keep investing in it. And there is talk of will Apple do like an Alexa with a screen, you know, like a a HomePod with it with an iPad on it. But I'm not sure where they would go that far because are they going to end up um, eroding their iPad sales or their iPhones? I don't know. It's a bit of an interesting one. I quite like the thought of having a screen on one of these devices. And I know Amazon and Google both do them. I've never felt any compunction to buy one of Amazon or Google uh, because it's Amazon and Google. Uh, but having said that, you know, something in the kitchen that would show the recipe that you're cooking at the moment with, you know, things pa- passing away or, or four or five timers for whatever you've got set would be really handy. I think they call that your iPhone or your iPad. Yeah, and I do set multiple timers on my HomePods and occasionally Siri just completely ignores me. So there's a more fundamental problem there, isn't there, with what it is you're trying to get it to do? Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, I I wouldn't mind it just to have it on the HomePod in the kitchen, just, you know, showing your Apple Music on it so I can pick pick a tune without trying to shout at Siri and it gets it wrong. Yeah, maybe that's the reason you put a screen on a HomePod is because Siri is so terrible. Yeah, maybe they have to cave, <laughs> cave to how badly series. Um, what, what are your expectations? Though? What, what are you really looking forward to? Yeah, I'm with you. I want to see what I want to see that quality of software I'm talking about. I always want to see them improve. I want to see less bugs. I want to see things work consistently. Just before the show, you and I were talking. I think a ding from my messages app made it into the show last week, and I'm pretty sure I put focus mode on. But no matter what I do, quite often dings in the messages app break out i'm on meetings with people and all the rest of it zoom's going on and then suddenly my phone's going crazy because you know the family are texting about something or other and stuff like that it should be clever enough to know i've got a zoom call going on you know mute my notifications display the badges by all means but don't you know go start going ding 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 all the way through when my phone's on silent i don't want to hear these messages at the best times you know i've got my watch on my wrist it should vibrate and tell me i don't need to know loudly when i've quit the app and i think i'm in focus mode that it's going so just that attention to detail and bits of applications would be good. Of course, I want to see the new hotness in, in watchOS and it'd be nice to see something interesting on the Apple TV. I know you make use of, for example, of the various profiles and things that are there for your accounts. I've never done that. It's too much hassle. I just go into the apps that I use and I manage my profiles there. Netflix or, or whatever. It doesn't work so well on Apple TV Plus, mine. So yeah, whatever's coming from macOS, I'd like to see now that they're potentially getting rid of not caring about what's on Intel hardware so much. They're freed up by the Apple Silicon. I'd really like to see them push forward some new interesting features with that. Maybe align slightly more closely with the iPad in terms of the applications that are available and making those applications easier to bring over. I think both the Mac and the iPad would benefit from that. And of course the iPhone. Hopefully better notifications every year. I want better notifications and easier ways to manage them and manage those distractions we said at the top of the show. So that's it for me really. Okay, fair enough. I'm amazed you don't use profiles on your TV. That is the single best thing I've taught the kids to use. Um, and we did it years ago because I was fed up of Fireman Sam, Thomas the Tank appearing in my watch list. I was like, I just want my watch list to be my list, if that makes sense, because I use it on my iPad, I use it on my Apple TV. Um, so I definitely would recommend it. It's well well worth it in our house. But there is a bigger age gap in our house of, you, you know, your children are young adults, my children are nowhere near that. So I will watch a lot of things that they won't watch and vice versa, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think we use the TVs differently, and we've hinted at this before. I could probably get by with one of these 30, 40 quid streaming sticks. I like the Apple TV because it, it just it just works in many ways. But 
my Apple TV is a conduit to iPlayer or 4OD or Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever it is I'm watching time. And these days, Apple TV Plus. I'm the only person that watches Apple TV Plus in the house, with the exception of Ted Lasso. Okay. Yeah, I understood. So I, for my kids, it's the only way they now have to use the TV is with the Apple remote. And so we've got one on every TV for that very reason. They can just pick it up and, and use it. Yeah. So it's just, it's about use case, isn't it? And I think particularly we've, we've talked about this before, you bought a lot of content from iTunes as was, you know, your movies are there, a lot of your TV shows are there and all that kind of stuff. So it absolutely makes sense in that scenario that you switch profiles. You want to watch Master and Commander, they want to watch Fireman Sam. So, you know, that makes sense to me, but it's not the use case in this house. Fair enough. Horses for courses. Slow horses for courses. Yeah. So what else do you think we're going to see at WWDC? Outside of the main operating systems, are we going to see a bit more of Apple Park, this developer center that's suddenly appeared at one of the antitrust trials? Phil Schiller said, oh, we've now got a developer center that we're building. We're going to, you know, welcome people there soon. And that is obviously now they're welcoming people. You know, we're going to get anything else? I don't know. I haven't. The, the developer center is interesting, and it's obviously a reaction to how remote everything's been. Apple probably feel they're losing contact with their end users too i mean they get lots of devices in front of people but without developers and let's face it developers aren't happy with apple recently with everything that's been going on with the sideloading and everything we've talked about app stores payment methods you know microsoft coming in and dropping the the entry requirements for how much money before they'll charge you a percentage of your of what's going on they they need to start winning hearts and minds back a little bit from developers because it is developers that have made Apple products as successful as they are. Yes, they bring the hardware, but without some of those apps, people wouldn't be buying iPhones, you know. And it's put, getting them in front of people that makes their devices more valuable. And I don't think Apple see it that way these days. I think they might have done once upon a time. I think these days they think they're allowing developers to make use of all these free tools in terms of you know iCloud, sorry Xcode and all these things. We are getting a lot of things wrong tonight. So. To me, that's them just trying to balance the platform a little bit and almost throw developers a bone that, yeah, look, 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 we do, we, we, we do give you money, but we still care about you. You can you can come to Cupertino and you can have a play in the developer center if you've got questions to ask. I don't know if it's going to be enough. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be enough. I think it will help. Part of me wonders, is this going to be the new format for WWDC moving on? So we had two remote in the last two years, obviously because of the pandemic. Before that, they were all in person. We had 5,000 people. And now this is the first hybrid era one. And I wonder whether this is the new norm, in essence, that they're going to be hybrid ongoing. And they were heading that way anyway, because they were always providing very good remote support for people because they couldn't house every developer. So I wonder whether this is them actually going, you know what? We're not going to need to rent big conference halls anymore. We can do all our product launches in the Steve Jobs Theatre and we can do all our developers in our own developer centre. Maybe they have more functions per year because you hear about roadshows, they're doing things. You know, with all these OSs, would they actually end up on a different cadence? Does it make sense to release five or six operating system updates all at once? Or actually, do you do half now and half in six months' time? Don't know the answer to that, but, you know, surely at some point you've got to start staggering this stuff because it's a lot to release all at once. I don't know enough about this anymore, but it used to be the operating systems were all based on the same core. You know, there was a free BSD kernel, all the sort of absolute internals of what was going on with the operating systems all had the same fundamental basis. And I'm pretty sure that's still the case for the way that they can rapidly turn around these operating systems. It's something they're very familiar with at this point. So, and when you think about embedded things, you talked about Safari already in, in the show, about how many devices that actually runs on from, from the Macs to, you know, to iPhones, to iPads, to who knows what, uh, you know, a whole Apple Watch. Apple Watch, you know, Safari is there. And so fundamentally, if you update it in one place, you need to update it everywhere. 
So I, I think it would be very difficult for them to move to any other sort of methodology. True, but do you need to update all your platforms at the same time? So say if you change your web browser, do you need to release it on the Apple Watch at the same time you release it on your iPhone? Possibly not. I don't know. I think you probably do, because more, more often than not, the point released to a browser is about security updates. So if it's a major, if it's a major security update, you got to update it everywhere. Your Apple Watch is a computer; it's still vulnerable. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I don't know. It's an interesting quandary to have, though. I just wonder whether they're too big to do it all at once. But we, we shall see. We shall see. I mean, I'm I'm sort of flicking through some of the rumors about what's coming up in the operating system. Nobody's got a lot of details. The one thing I think we can we can move along a little bit because we're going to go long otherwise. But the the rumored name of the next version of macOS is Mammoth. Cool name. Quite a cool name. It's better than Monterey, I think. I quite like Monterey. I can't spell it, but it sounds good. I can spell Monterey. I, I, I quite like Big Sur. I think I probably pronounced that incorrectly. I'm not Californian enough. Big Sur. I don't know. No, I thought Big Sur was good because it was like, you know, that was the Apple Silicon OS because it was like, it's big. So I wonder, maybe Mammoth. I, I, I quite like it. All the rumors are pointing that way. So be interested. Ma- Mammoth implies big. I know it's after a park. It's not after the, the, the hairy, hairy el- prehistoric elephants. But uh, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see. Good Given that we've uh, talked about Apollo 13, do you think MacOS 13 is going to have the same fate of iOS 13, where it was full of bugs and was one of the worst releases ever? Yeah, you're right. You may be calling it right there. I hope not. I hope we've got past some of the awful things that we saw in, in iOS 13 and, and some of the development hiccups we've had over the years with it. Let's face it, they've made enough versions of iOS, of, of Mac OS 10, 11 as it is now, 12, 13, to hopefully have got their head around. You don't throw out bits of the software stack, you know, the scheduling engine or whatever else is that's built into it, that, that, or the Bluetooth stack as they've done before. So I hope... It's the same. I don't want to see a bad release ever, even though it's an OS I'm not going to use. I want to see good quality OS come out. Absolutely. Because let's face it, as we just said, one ties into the other. I think that'll do us for WWDC. We're, we're excited. Yeah. Um, are we going to do the show the day of rather than... We may have to, but late, because I'm, I'm, I'm away the next day. And I may not be able to fill it in because I'm traveling on the train for about two hours, I think. Because it is the 6th of June, right? Yeah, Monday the 6th of June. Probably at 6 till 8 will be WWDC. Yeah. So we can maybe do a slightly late show straight afterwards if you're up for it. Oh, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. I'll have to see if you've installed the beta on your phone straight away anyway. So uh... I'm putting it straight on this iPad that I record to you on. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. What could go wrong? No, then, let's try. Let's try and do a late one on on Monday the sixth and see how we go. Okay, that's enough for WWDC. We had a little bit more feedback as we promised last week to listener Ashley, who asked us two questions. One of which we dealt with last week about why is his laptop taking so long to arrive, and now the second one about Thunderbolt hubs. Do you want to start us off on Thunderbolt hubs? Yeah. Okay. So I've experimented a little bit with this over the years. A bit of Thunderbolt and a bit of USB C. So my current setup in my shed is. Sorry, I was just going to say there. I find this before before we even kick off properly very confusing, just because it's a USB shaped hole, USB C shaped hole in my computer. Is it Thunderbolt or is it USB C? There's not a simple way to tell by looking at the side of a Mac what it is that you've got going on. The dock or the cable or anything. So it is. I like the idea conceptually. I've got the same shape cable and I can pull it in there. How many times have we all picked up a cable? I've had it with a screen. Oh, look, it's not showing me a picture. Why is it not? I've got a big, thick USB-C Thunderbolt-looking cable, and it's not got the right right bits inside it. So I do feel your pain, if I'm honest. So where was I going? So the one I've used then is I've got an Apple Studio display in my shed, and that's got a Thunderbolt 3 on it, and I plug that into my iPad. And in the back of the Apple Studio display, I've got this microphone plugged in. 
and I've got an Ethernet adapter. Just a Belkin USB-C Ethernet adapter works great. My iPads pick it up straight away. Really happy with it. Really simple setup. And I've got a, the Apple keyboard and mouse, the Bluetooth ones they do. And that works great with my iPad. And I've used it with my Mac Mini as well. No issues there. You can swap the device out. I do wish the Apple Studio Display supported two inputs. If it did two inputs, I'd be set for life. It's my only slight annoyance with it, but I get why they don't do it. And then what I then use work is we're down house at work and we've got some USB-C docks we've had for years, proper three, four years. And the model we're using is WD-19S and we've got some other ones which are WD-15. And actually, if you firmware upgrade them, they work fine with your iPads and with your Macs and you can just plug them in on the USB-C. It's got Ethernet in the dock. It's got two display ports, HDMI. With the iPad, if you plug your monitor in on HDMI, it works fine. Obviously with the Macs, you can plug, plug any displays in you want. You, and you can plug in just regular USB, we see mice and keyboards and they work on your iPad. So what is great for me is I can go to any of our offices and just plug my iPad in and work as if I had a laptop. So that's the experiences I've had. All seem to work fine. Obviously, the iPad is limited to just mirroring to the one screen. But I'm guessing listener Ashley is more interested in how it's going to work on the Mac, which is why I'm now going to look at you because I just haven't got that Mac experience. Well, I mean, I can speak for my my monitor, which isn't a Thunderbolt compatible device. It's it's a USB C compatible device, which means I don't get all the throughput. It doesn't have the, the bandwidth that you're going to get with a Thunderbolt device. So I'll link in the show notes. But are you missing any throughput? Not as far as I'm aware. What happens when I plug in with USB C? Let me let me talk a little bit. What happens when I plug in with USB C is there is an Ethernet jack on the back of my screen, which I won't get gigabit Ethernet with if I plug in with USB C. So there is a little bit of lost bandwidth there, but I don't plug in with that particular Ethernet cable my screen to my network. I use the Wi-Fi or I use a different dock that I'll talk about in a minute. So I have a Philips monitor. It's uh, the snappily named P three four six. Uh, P1CRH, which is a 34-inch widescreen monitor, uh, link in the show notes, with a curved display. It also has an integral webcam and speakers and uh, microphone. The webcam is the worst thing in the world. What, worse than the display? Worse than your Apple Studio display. If It's it's the blurriest 720p-est thing I've ever seen. It's got a nice feature. The fact that it's all built in is great, and it pops up uh, from the top of the screen, so you can hide it when it's not in use, although it stays on when you try and go on, so you get a nice view of the ceiling if you do it. So I've got a Logitech webcam stuck on. But the basic functionality of the device is good. Uh, with the exception of the beta period last year for macOS, I plug in one USB-C cable, which is a big thick USB-C cable with a lightning bolt symbol on it, even though it's not Thunderbolt, which gives me one cable to the monitor. The monitor charges the laptop and there's a four port USB hub in the back of the, the monitor as well, which is great. So you can chain extra keyboards or game devices or whatever else you want off those the USB-A ports that are on there. There is a second USB-C output on the display. So you can chain a second Philips PHL to it if you want. So if you really wanted two widescreen 34-inch monitors in your desk, one will power the other one, which is quite a nice feature. Wouldn't that be like putting your head in a big circle? That is the idea. The radius of these things is meant to be the same curvature as the human eye. All of these widescreen displays, curved widescreen displays are like this. 1800R, I think it is. 
that if you put them around you, they will form a perfect circle around you in more or less the same curvature as, as your eye. That's why they are the shape that they are. So this would give you that if you wanted to. It would be is, ridiculous. Is this Apple's... <laughs> this is Philips's AR kit, I think. Um, could, could Apple just rebadge the developer AR kit? Maybe they could, maybe they could. So this particular Philips model, and there's an A model, a B model, and a C model. This is the C one that's got the camera and the rest of it. If you pick the A or the B one, A one doesn't have the second USB-C port in it to chain off to another screen or the camera or the microphone. The B one does have the USB-C socket to chain off. And then this one has all of the bits and pieces on it. It's a very business-focused monitor. But it also, for me, I'm getting slightly off the topic of USB hubs, also gives you a 100 hertz display. So you get that very fast ref refresh rate, and even that works with my USB-C cable connected to my Mac, which is really, really nice, because the Dell screen, I plug it into at work, doesn't. It only supports 60 hertz via um, USB-C. So that's interesting. The other thing it gives you is a display port in and HDMI 2 in. So you can have multiple displays, uh, multiple devices connected to one display. And as it switches from one to the other, the USB-C hub will switch with them as well. So it's a really nice monitor from that point of view. So it's not strictly speaking a Thunderbolt hub, but it is for six, just over 600 pounds, I think it was when I, when I bought the display. It's an excellent display. It's got a higher refresh rate. It's 1440p sort of depth wise. So it's not quite as good as 4K or what you've got with your cinema display, but it's it's not a bad screen. And so for the money, and I was just looking at the specs where you were talking, you're getting a lot for it and you're in essence getting a hub built in which I can definitely see the benefits, which is why I like the look of the Apple Studio display, because you've kind of got everything built into one, which is quite nice. It's nice. It's got the speakers and, and so on. And in the house, actually, I forgot, I've got an LG Ultrafine 4K, which is a 22-inch screen. And that works in very much the same way. One cable, I can just unplug my Mac and put, put my iPad in it, and I've got I've got a second desk for my iPad when I'm in the house. So you know, I can see the benefit of buying a screen over a, a dock. I guess the, what the dock gives you is ultimate flexibility and that you can plug any screen in and any array of any other cable. I think you're going to review a dock in a second. But I guess it depends on how much you want to spend and how much, how much cabling you want to do. Yeah, and the convenience for me was just that one cable. You know, I, I saw the studio display, not the studio, but the XDR when it came out, that one cable that would give you a 6K display over with huge resolution at, is it 32 inches, 35 inches, the studio display? The X 6K screen. 32 inch 6K screen. I'm not spending eight grand on a monitor though, with, with a stand. So this seemed to hit a sweet spot for me where I could plug in one cable, I could get all the hub and everything I wanted, and it was a big enough display, and it is a big enough display to get three or even four sometimes Word documents side by side by side by side on it. So it works really well for me. And with the benefit that I've got a PC under my desk to play games on too, I can turn it on, it flips over to that. The USB hub and the gaming keyboard and everything that's plugged into that just work. So it's a very flexible device for me. We're pushing the, the, the what a Thunderbolt dock is here, but you know it's a val for six hundred quid, and some of these Thunderbolt docks are upwards of two three hundred. It's actually not a stupid answer. No, I, I agree with that. I can get behind buying a really good screen with all the bits in it. I guess, I guess if you want ultimate flexibility, buy the dock and and a screen or two. But I think I don't know. Sometimes like it's hard to justify. And you hear people with these docks, and then you actually ask them, well, what have you got plugged into your dock? And it's like you could have just done that all on one screen. You know, the dock's not giving you any extra. Yeah, I'm with you. So that's what I've got in terms of a screen. And just to talk about, so I've got direct experience of two docks, a couple more of cheap ones that I bought off Amazon, but um, you know, I'm sure a listener actually has probably tried them at some point anyway. So two I'll talk about, uh, and one of which is an actual Thunderbolt dock. So I have the Cal Digit uh, Thunderbolt 3 mini dock, which is dual HDMI output. So that will let you power two HDMI displays from this. It has Ethernet, it has the dual HDMI, uh, and it's got two USB-A 
uh, sockets on it, three USB 3.1, just to be clear. So they're quite fast transfer speed. What it doesn't have is another USB-C connector. So you've got the one USB-C into your Mac, and then you've got no means of powering it, for example. And this is a limitation of a lot of these docks that why haven't they got second or third or fourth USB-C connectors as well? I don't. I only need one USB-A connector most of the time, but what I really want is more USB-C connectors because my MacBook Pro has only got two USB-C connectors. So I, I think this is a limitation of this kind. Got me wrong. It works really well. It's it's discovered every time it's plugged into the Mac. I have powered two HDMI devices off it, so that works perfectly well as well. The Ethernet is rock solid and fast uh, when I want to use it, but uh, I just find it quite limiting and primarily what I want it for is when I go traveling or uh, go to work and I can plug in other devices. The Mac is what you're saying? So the, no, it doesn't get power at all. I've got to use the other USB-C port on my Mac to power my Mac. So you, there, there is no power in with it is what I mean. So it's not a yeah, one okay, cable. Yeah, I understood. Yeah, it's not a one cable connection. So like I say, it's a very reliable device and some of the other dodgier ones I've tried from Amazon and the rest of it have been less reliable. But I just think it's a serious limitation on a dock that I think was more than £150 when I, when, when I bought it not to have this. And I can't believe I didn't notice it didn't have it, actually. Yeah, I went through the same problem. And actually, you've put in the show notes another dock, an Anchor Power Expand. And I've actually used that and I used to have it on my iPad. Because like you, I wanted a power USB-C power delivery because obviously if I'm using it on an iPad, there's no other port on the iPad to charge it. So I needed to charge the dock, plug the dock into the iPad, and then I could use Ethernet or a screen. So I've actually bought the other one that you've got a link to in the show notes. And that's my, my kind of traveling dock. Yeah, and it, it's not a bad little device, although it has its limitations as well in the sense that it will drive an HDMI display at 60 hertz, but no more than 60 hertz because it's USB-C and that's all it will put out. And I think that's a limitation of HDMI 2 rather than a particular limitation of USB-C. I think you need HDMI 2.1 to deliver more than 60 hertz. Like your your new fancy TV is is 2.1 compatible and it'll do up to 120 hertz, I think. On my PlayStation 5. Very nice. Variable refresh rate now too. Variable refresh rate, refresh rate broke Miles Morales. Did it? So my, my son had a friend around, they loaded up Miles Morales Spider-Man on the PlayStation 5. And I'm like, Dad, why is all the colours? It was like all pink and it looked like something wasn't plugged in right. And I was like, oh, what have you done? You know, And I rebooted it, loaded the game again, and, and the OS looked fine. Rebooted it, loaded the game again. Same happened, quite a pink sort of wash on it. It was really bizarre. Go back to the main menu and it's still got that sort of look about it. And just in the back of my mind, I was like, I think I've heard something about variable refresh rate come out. And I go and turn it off and then it was all fine. So, so there you go. It's a PS4 game, right, isn't it? It's not written for PS5. No, Miles Morales was a PS5 game. Was it? Okay. And I think they're including it in the PS bundle that's coming out, the new network bundle. So they better go and fix it. They need to fix that. Anyway, so that's a limitation of it. One thing, I mean, you might have experience of using this particular um, Anchor USB dot, uh, power expand as well, which, which is a fairly solid little device, but it claims to have a 5 gigabits per second USB-C port as well. So I've tried to power displays from that, assuming that I'd at least be able to get something out of the USB-C but you can't do it. So you can power in, you can plug in other USB-C devices, but not a display from the USB-C port of this. Okay, so I've not tried that with it. I just used it with Ethernet with my iPad. So that's what I had it for. Yeah, so I mean, it's fine for that. It's, it's fine if you want to run another USB-C dongle off it or something, but uh, don't try and run a display. But if what you want is something that's give, going to give you Ethernet, HDMI so you can plug a screen in and be able to power your Mac all off one thing and give you a couple of USB-A ports as well. It's a perfectly valid device, and it was less than 40 quid, maybe less than 50 quid, I want to say. Oh, yeah. It's a really good 
good price. The only thing I'd say against it is it hasn't got very long cable on it. So it's, you, you kind of have it sticking outside of your iPad or your laptop, and then you've then got to plug everything into it. It is a bit messy. You know, you, what you really want is a long tail on it so that you can chuck it under the desk if you can leave it in a permanent place. And at that sort of cost, if you buy at the right time, you know, you can afford to buy a couple of them because you can leave one then in your on your desk in your, at your home or one in your office, which is what I've done. So I've got this Dow Dock at work and my shoe display here. It works really well. It means I don't need to take it with me. Yeah. No, so I think the conclusion is for to have the best docking experience, buy a screen that supports it. And there are a number now. So Bank, I know, makes some. The new Samsung has Thunderbolt and is able to be supported in this way and power your computer. If you can find a CalDigit Thunderbolt 3, like I've got, because you want to apply power to displays, then it will do that. It also has a short cable, but you need to keep in mind you're going to have to get your power in somewhere else. And then there's your experience of using the Dell ones as well. And of course, you've got an Apple cinema display, so... Yeah, I'm quite impressed with the Dow ones because we've had them for years in the office and they've been really solid. Can't find them. We've used them with Macs. We've used them with um, iPads. We use them with our Dell USB-C laptops with Windows. Generally a really good product. I think quite well made and they give you quite a range of ports. And Dell are quite good at that kind of stuff and they're good at support. I mean, I think the internals of these things as the generation goes on, like I think my CalDigit is shared with OWC and other companies that make that generation. I think there's, there's a limited number of chipsets for all these things. So when you go on Amazon and you look for a USB-C dock, actually a lot of them are very similar internals. It's just how they're badged and the quality that the, the cases are made from as much as anything else. So when you go sort of the CalDigit 3 and above, I think there's a CalDigit 4 now, uh, that generation of chipset supports many, 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 many more things with more USB-C uh, ports than, than the earlier ones. And the cheap USB-C ones are just the beginning technologies of all this stuff, which is why they're a bit unreliable in some ways. Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. Good. I think we've done it. Ashley, hopefully we've helped. If we haven't, do get in contact. Happy to do some more research, but that's our, our learnings. Yep. And I think we can call it a show with that, Chris. Perfect. Thanks, Rod. And then, so if anybody's got any more questions for us, happy to take any. You can email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. I'd love to hear any feedback or any questions. Great po- great show, Chris, and uh, happy, w- happy WWDC week coming. Yeah, no, it should be good. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Cheers, Rod. Bye.